Good morning. How are we doing? Anybody awake? Anybody hungry yet? All right, hold off. Um, thank you, Jason. Um, I'm excited to jump into this uh, second um, installment in our All In series, and um, I have a lot I'm going to try to cover. I cut some out of the first, like, the first service. I felt like, um, did you guys, when you listen to something online, a podcast or YouTube video, you speed it up to like 1.5 or I, I, I'm usually 1.5 or 1.75. That's what I feel like I sounded like in the first service, trying to get through all this. So, uh, so those people may need to go back and slow that down. Uh, I'm going to try to go a little slower and, um, and cover as much as I can and still get Jason out in time for lunch. And, uh, but I, I lean in. Uh, pay close attention, and um, th- I think this is going to be helpful for, for all of us. Last week, we started this conversation about what does it look like to be all in with a local church family? Um, we know that, that anybody who's a Christian is a part of the church. You're part of, of, of God's church, but we have these you know, local church bodies that are an expression of the body of Christ in a given community. What does it look like to be a part of a church family? And so we started last week by saying, first of all, it looks like being all in with Jesus. Like if, if you're gonna be a part of a church family, you, we all acknowledge Jesus is the head of the church. He's, he's the Lord and Savior and he's the one who, who deserves our allegiance. And so it starts with that. If you missed that, I encourage you to go back and grab that message from last week on our, our YouTube uh, page or, or website. But today we're gonna, we're gonna dig in a little more to what does it look like to be a part of a local expression of the body of Christ like Cicero Christian Church. And we're going to start with this verse from Romans chapter 12, uh, Romans 12, 5. I encourage you to commit this to memory and um, refer to this as we continue to go through this series. Uh, here, here it is. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So, so Paul is writing to these uh, house churches in Rome and he's telling them like, hey, you guys are all one, you're one body. Now, th- this was going to be a new thing for them because their society wasn't set up that way. There wasn't a lot of unity across social and political and economic uh, barriers. There, there was a lot of division based on social and political and economic barriers. And aren't you so glad we live in a culture that we have no barriers socially, economically, politically in our culture today? That's sarcasm. You can laugh at that. Okay. All right. Pay attention. Here we go. So like we, we have the same uh, issues with division that creep in, especially even into the church. And so Paul is writing to, to these people that have all these reasons to be divided. And he's saying, you're actually one body. Even when you don't feel like you're one body, you are one body. Even when you look around the room and you go, man, there are people who are very different from me politically, economically, socially in this room. You're still one body. So what does that, what does that mean? Bo- bodies take on different shapes and sizes, right? We all know that. And a lot of us uh, spend some, some time and thought and energy into trying to uh, control what our bodies look like on the outside uh, because uh, we, we want to look or feel a certain way. We want to be healthy ultimately. But um, can you tell how healthy a body is from the outside? Maybe a little, right? What are some things you can tell by looking at the outside of a person? You can tell how tall they are. Um, sometimes you can tell generally how old they are. Um, so what, what is looking at this church body from the outside? What do you see? What would you see from the outside? And some of you, you're not part of this church family, just you know, a guest visiting with us today. What, what do you know about Sister Christian Church? What do you see? Well, let me tell you some things that you can see from the outside. First of all, um, we're old. I mean, we are, we're really old. Uh, this church is 184 years old. 
right? We've been around a long time. And we look pretty good for our age. You gotta give us that. But this church has been around a long time, 184 years. Um, there are about 550 people that call uh, Cicero Christian Church home. And you look around and you go, well, where are they at? Good question. Like I, I, I would like to know that as well. We're, we're just not all here on the same day. If you got us all here on the same day, it's over 500 people. Um, we have nine full-time staff, uh, including uh, ministry staff. We have five elders. We have an annual operating budget of about $850,000. Those are some things you can tell from the outside. Are those indications of health? Eh, I don't know. Um, some other things you can see from the outside, there's uh, some ministries that uh, are, exist in our community that were started here at Cicero Christian Church, the Hope Family Care Clinic up on Jackson Street uh, that takes care of uh, people who are uh, uninsured or underinsured with medical needs, was started here at Cicero Christian Church. The Mephibosheth Ministry, that is a ministry to adults with disabilities, started here at Cicero Christian Church. Um, if you go to Lights Over Morris Lake, the festival here around 4th of July, you will see, you know, we... we we are present there. We give away water. We do a movie night. Uh, we, we do other events that are visible in our community from the outside, including the service day that's coming up here in a few weeks. You saw that. And um, th- those are things that you can look at from the outside and you go, okay, this is, this is what this church does. This is kind of who they are. Does that stuff tell you if we're healthy or not? I mean, maybe there are some indications. You go, well, any church that's been around for 184 years, I, I mean, there, there has to be some level of health that they allows you to survive that long. And, and you know, hundreds of people come here. Like, there's, there's some positive thing about that. There's got to be something good. We have this kind of a mostly positive um, reputation in our community. You got to look at that and go, man, these, there, there's, there's some indications of health. But can you really tell how healthy a body is from the outside? Most of the unhealthy stuff in our bodies is on the inside, right? It's, it's the invisible stuff that you can't see that determines whether you're healthy or not. And it's the same, same for a church family. So what are, what are the things inside of us that might be indications of health? Well, we have uh, 14 microchurch groups that represent about 150 people that meet every week for study and prayer, to care for each other, to meet each other's needs, um, to grow as disciples of Jesus, we have a full curriculum of Christian education classes where people dig deep into God's word and they grow in their understanding of who God has called us to be. We have a vibrant children's ministry and thriving middle school and high school ministries, right? Guys, a little shout out for middle school, high school. Hey, that's thriving on a Sunday morning, guys. That's pretty good, actually. Uh, and, and in these ministries, uh, these young people are being loved and cared for by um, selfless and, and sincere adults, and they're learning who God has called them to be um, and how they live that out in the church family. Um, so there, there's a lot happening underneath the surface of Cicero Christian Church on the inside that you can kind of look at and go, yeah, there, there's some signs of health there. But what I want to talk about today is what, what is your role in the health of the church? Most of you probably don't think you have any role in the health of the church. You're like, the church is, is bigger than me. It's gonna go on. It's gonna do its thing. It'll be healthy or not, and I have nothing to do with it. Really? Are we sure about that? Because what Paul says is that we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Paul says, you're like a body in that you are physically, spiritually connected to the people who are also in the body. And so, so you think about like, the, like your body and 
they're not like parts of your body that you just kind of take off and like, oh, I don't need my thumb today. I'm just going to leave that at home and, 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 and go on without, without my thumb because it's not important. No, I, 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 I need the thumb, you know, thumbs up, you know, hitch a ride, whatever. Like we don't do that. Our, the parts of our body matter. And so whether the parts of our body are healthy or not make a difference. Like if, so I, I didn't plan this, but I have a knee thing today. Um, I came home from the gym and didn't make it across my deck. My knee gave out and I, I fell down. This happens often enough that my wife didn't even uh, hesitate. She just, kept, she just kept on walking. Oh, he'll get up. He'll be fine. Uh, so I'm, I'm walking a little gingerly because my knee, which doesn't, it's not my heart. It's not pumping blood. It's not my brain. It's not making decisions, but it is absolutely affecting my body, Right? Every part of my body is, affects all the other parts. And so what typically happens when my knee goes out is uh, I start uh, limping and then my other hip starts hurting, right? Do you ever have that where it's like, okay, now, now you're limping on both legs. Um, just me, okay, I'm, I'm old, all right. This is what it's like though in the body of Christ. Your health impacts the rest of the body. Some of you are like, what? Wait, I didn't, that's not what I signed up for. Like, I just want to come to church. I just want to, you know, sing the songs and, and like look like I'm paying attention to the sermon and then go eat lunch. No, if you're a part of the family, your health impacts the rest of the body. And, and it's, not like, it's not like me deciding that. It's not like you deciding that. It's like, that's just how bodies work. Your health impacts the rest of the body. So, my guess is, if you know that and you believe that, then you want to be healthy because you realize this impacts the rest of the church family as well. So how do we do that? Well, thankfully, Paul does address that. How can you become who God created you to be so that we collectively can become who God created us to be? So let's start with Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and see what Paul has to say about who we are becoming as individuals and as a body. Here's what Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So he starts with a not this, but that. Don't, don't do this, do this instead. And the don't do is, is conformed. Don't be conformed. Conformed uh, is uh, language that kind of refers to what's happening on the outside. Like, this is, a, this is an image control thing. Do we know about image control. Uh, social media is like the prime example of image control because you get to pick what goes on there. You get to pick which pictures you post and you know, which comments you make and who you follow and, and all of this stuff. You get to pick all that and it is, it is a source of image control. You get to decide how other people are gonna see you based on what you post. And you don't post everything, right? There are some things you... You, you, pick, you take a picture and you delete. You're like, I'm not posting that. Like, that doesn't make me look very good. So we shape our image based on what we want other people to see. And Paul says, like, it, what you look like on the outside, like, that's actually kind of important. But who are you trying to please with that? Like, whose, whose attention are you trying to get with the way that you shape your public image? And Paul says, if it's, if it's the world, if it's the world, then you're actually barking up the wrong tree. You're, you're moving in the wrong direction. You don't need to be trying to get the attention of the world, of society. You don't need to be fitting into society's definitions of success or happiness or peace or joy. If, if that's the people you're trying to please, the attention that you're trying to get, Paul says, just knock that off. Don't be conformed 
to the pattern of the world. Instead, he says, don't do this, do this. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed. Like Transformation is a reference to what's happening on the inside, what's going on internally, behind the scenes, invisibly. Transformation is, is difficult. Image control is pretty easy. I just post the pictures of me that make me look good. That's why there are very few pictures of me out there in the, in, in the web, interweb, because I, you know, this, this is all I got to work with, okay? I, I, Paul says, transformation is hard. Image control is pretty easy. Transformation is difficult. It's what happens on the inside. And in fact, you, you can't transform yourself. Paul doesn't say transform yourself. He says, be transformed. How many of us have tried to transform ourselves? Like we've done the work. Like I have this problem. Maybe it's, maybe it's pride. Maybe it's dishonesty. Maybe I'm just uh, a grumpy in the mornings. And you've, and you've thought, just willpower. I'm gonna willpower my way through this. Maybe you're not disciplined as you, as you wanna be. And I'm just gonna willpower. I'm just gonna pull myself up by my willpower. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna push through this. It's, it's, we, we can't transform ourselves. We need something that is not us speaking into us to change us into the people that God created us to be. And that's, that's the Holy Spirit. But as Paul is gonna talk about in these next few verses, it's also the church family. The church family is part of our transformation. Like how you interact with me is part of my transformation as a follower of Jesus Christ. Isn't that sort of a encouraging and terrifying thought all at the same time? <laughs> how I interact with you is part of your transformation. And sometimes how I interact with you is gonna make you healthier. And sometimes how I interact with you is gonna make you less healthy because I'm broken and messed up and I make mistakes. But that's, that's how bodies work. And it's, it's like a family, you know, sort of dysfunctional at times. But this is what we've got. And we need to understand how we interact with people and it impacts the whole body. So when it comes to transformation, there are three aspects of what's happening under the surface I want us to think about. First is identity, how I see myself the second is my desires, how I define happiness, success, satisfaction, uh, how I control my appetites. And the third is character. How do I conduct myself? How do I actually behave? How do I treat people? Um, what kind of decisions do I make in, in real life? Those are things that all happen underneath the surface that should be transformed when we renew our minds through the power of the Holy Spirit and fellowship with uh, a healthy church body. And Paul says, you can't do this yourself. You need Jesus and you need other people to be transformed. A healthy church is full of people who are being transformed. And that, this is what we want. This is what I want for us as Cicero Christian Church. This is what I think God wants for us is to be a healthy church because healthy churches grow. Like that's, that's a thing that healthy things do, healthy things grow, healthy things have a positive impact on what's around them. And, and I want us to be a healthy church, so I, I want us to be people who are being transformed, who are being changed daily by renewing our minds, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and by our interactions with each other. So let's, uh, let's continue. Paul's gonna break this down a little bit more for us in verse three. Uh, he says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. So again, we have a, a don't do this, do this, right? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, right? But think of yourself with sober judgment. So we know what sober means. Sober means un unimpaired is kind of how we would describe that. If you're, if you're sober, you're unimpaired. If 
if you're not sober, you're impaired in some way, like your decision-making or your balance or some kind of functional thing is impaired. And so Paul says, I, I want the way that you see yourself to be unimpaired. So what does impaired judgment or an impaired view of ourselves look like? What does that create? What does that cause? The first thing I think that happens when our judgment of ourselves is impaired is comparison. We start to compare ourselves to the people around us. And we start to determine our value or our, you know, whether we're good or bad or whether we're, you know, acceptable or not, whether we're lovable or not based on the people we see around us. And we look at some people and we go, man, I, I really wish I was as you know, put together. I wish I was as smart. I wish I was as funny. I wish I had the, the money. I wish I had the stuff that they have. Or we look at other people and we go, man, I'm so glad I'm, I'm not where they are. You know, I'm, I'm so glad I don't have that kind of attitude. I'm so glad I don't treat people that way. I, I'm so glad I don't live in that neighborhood. And we start to compare ourselves to others. And what comparison does is it absolutely destroys peace. It destroys peace and unity. Paul is talking to this church where they have so many opportunities for their peace and unity to be destroyed. And he says, if you're gonna push back against all of these things that would divide you, then you, you need to have sober judgment. Don't have impaired judgment. Don't compare yourself to other people, right? Comparison destroys peace. There's Andy Stanley says that there's no win in comparison. There's no win in comparison, right? The other thing I think impaired judgment, the way it shows up, especially in our culture, is in individualism. You've heard me talk about this uh, a little bit over the last uh, few months, uh, is this sense in, in our culture that the highest good, the highest value is uh, for the individual person to to discover themselves, be themselves, express themselves in whatever way feels good and feels right to them. And uh, there's a sense in which, like, yes, we are individuals and we are unique. And there's, there's something special and I think even sacred about that unique, the way that God made us all different. That's good and right. But individualism takes it a step farther and it actually worships self. This is self above everything else. And, and individualism isolates us and it devalues other people. It isolates us in the sense that when we focus on self and we, the most important thing is me and that I get what I want, I'm allowed to be whoever I wanna be and express that however I wanna express that, it isolates me. It makes me feel like nobody can relate to me, nobody can understand me, nobody knows what I'm going through. Now, listen, it's true that your experiences are your experiences. No one else has your experiences. And no one else can have your exact perspective on life because the way that you were raised and the things that you've seen and heard and done are, are, are unique to you. But when we start to magnify that and make, make it seem like that that's all there is, is my unique experiences, we forget that there actually are people who have had similar experiences, not the same, but similar. There are people around us who have suffered in similar ways that we have suffered. There are people around us who have achieved in similar ways that we have achieved. There are people who can relate, who can, we can connect to. But individualism, the worship of self, isolates us and makes us think no one else can do that. It also devalues other people. We, we're always looking for, in our culture, we're looking for a way to stand out. What makes me special? What makes me unique? How do I stand out? And maybe it's, maybe it's your voice. You just have a great singing voice and that's your thing. That's what, makes you, that's what makes you stand out. Maybe it's Harry Potter trivia. You're like, no one can beat me at Harry Potter trivia. And that's the thing that, that makes you stand out. Or it's, you know, maybe it's ping pong or, or you know, whatever. There are a lot of different, we'll, we'll, we'll find whatever we can find 
to, to make us feel like I've got something that makes me just a little better than everybody else I know. Why do we do that? It's, it's individualism. It's this desire to worship self and, and to be somehow put ourselves above. And it isolates us and it devalues other people. So Paul says, knock that off, okay? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. He doesn't say don't think of yourself at all. He says, you need to think of yourself with sober judgment, unimpaired judgment. Unimpaired judgment is seeing myself as I'm a person doing my best in the world just like everybody else. That's one thing that I think helps shape my perspective on other people. When people frustrate me, when people annoy me and they don't do things the way I wanna do them is like I always fall, try to fall back on this. They're doing their best. I think, I think most people are doing the best they can, just, just like I am. I also think that unimpaired judgment is, enables me to say, God is not comparing me to other people to determine how lovable I am. Aren't you glad for that? God is not comparing me to other people to determine how lovable I am. He loves me as me, regardless of you, right? There's some freedom and truth in that. I don't need to compare myself to others to know that I'm loved. Also, unimpaired judgment says, I am not my own, but I need others and others need me. Friends, you need others and others need you. Some of you may feel like you're not needed in the church family. The gospel would say different. Paul would say different. You need others and you are needed here. Whatever gifts you have, we'll get into this more next week. Whatever gifts you have been given, the church needs that. Your your experiences, your personality, the, the way God has shaped you, we need that and you need others. And unimpaired judgment allows me to say, if, if I contribute to what's best for other people, God will take care of my needs. Like we, we function as though there's this, it's a zero sum game. Zero sum game means like in order for me to win, someone else has to lose, right? And if someone else is winning, that means I'm losing. Well, the gospel says a very different message that there's enough love to go around. There's, there's, God has enough, he's not running out of resources anytime soon. And so we're afraid. We, we live in this world that we're afraid if I give, I'm not gonna have enough. But the kingdom of God is a place of abundance and we can give. And when we focus on the needs of others, we can trust that God is gonna take care of our needs. So uh, that's, that's uh, the challenge is don't, don't conform. Don't, don't control your outward appearance to try to please anybody else, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The Holy Spirit and their interaction with your brothers and sisters. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, not, not impaired judgment, but think of yourself with sober judgment. And then he says uh, in, in verse two, he says, then you'll be able uh, to test, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Uh, that's pretty exciting. How many of you have ever thought or prayed, man, I, God, just tell me your will. Just tell me your will for my life and I'll do it unless it's like move to Africa or something like that. Just tell me your will for my life and I'll do it. Unless it's sell all my possessions and give them to the poor. Unless it's that, I'll do it. Like anything, but those two things, anything else, God, tell me what to do and I'll do it, right? And we just wanna know God's will. And Paul is saying like, okay, this this is not that complicated, right? When you submit yourself to the Holy Spirit and you're in fellowship with other believers, God's will will be pretty clear. In fact, Jesus has already made God's will abundantly clear. When, when some people came to him in Matthew chapter 22 and said, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Like, if you were going to narrow God's will for us down to one commandment, what would it be? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And 
It's not one, but two. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, if, I, if, if we're gonna boil God's will for you down to two things, this is it. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's God's will for you. I don't know about you, but that's enough to keep me pretty busy, <laughs> right? Learning how to do that, developing to the kind of person that loves God with all my heart, soul, mind, and probably the more difficult part, loving my neighbor as myself, that, that'll keep me busy for the rest of my days. But that's not even it. At the end of Jesus' life on earth and ministry, after his resurrection, he's speaking to his disciples. And listen, it's not just the 12. Sometimes we think that what this the great thing we call the Great Commission was just to these 12, and it was like these professional people. And um, we elevate these 12 guys, even though you can't name them all, right? How many can you, like Peter, Paul, Mary, no? Like, uh, th there's 12. We know there's 12. We just can't even name them. But we think those are the people that the Great Commission was given to. But Jesus says, here's, here's the thing. Uh, here's what I want you to do. Go into all the world, make disciples of every nation, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's God's will for all disciples. He's talking to over 100 people at this moment, not just the 12. And he said, this is, this is what I want all of you to do. It's not, this is not just for the guy on the stage. This is not just for the spiritually elite. This is for all Jesus followers. So what's God's will for your life? I mean, if, if you woke up this morning with that thought in your head, here it is. Love God, love people, make disciples. It's, it's that simple and it's that difficult and it'll keep you occupied for the rest of your born days, okay? So how in the world do we become the kind of people that can live out God's will for us in our lives? How do we do that? Well, first, let's ask why. Why should we do that? Why should we do that? Because we, though many, are one body in Christ. Individually, members one of another. Why should I do this? Why should I care? Why should I sacrifice? Why should I commit? Why should I make hard choices in order to live out God's will for my life? Because this is not just about me. This is not just about me. That my health impacts the health of our church family. So it matters to you because it matters to us. So then how do we do it? And this is, I just wanna wrap up with this, uh, a couple ideas on how we do this because I think um, even though we said we can't be transformed on our own, you can't transform yourself, you have to be transformed. I think we still try to do it on our own a lot. And so uh, have you ever watched somebody try to do something uh, that they don't know how to do, but you do? And, and you watch them and you're like, oh, you know, like it's uh, when my wife watches me try to swim. Uh, when we were first getting together, I don't do this in front of her anymore, but uh, I would try to swim and she thought I was drowning. And I was like, no, I'm swimming. And she's like, no, I don't know what you're doing, but you're not swimming. You're, it looks like you're drowning. And she would be like, just stop and let me show you how to do this, right? It's, uh, it's how I feel whenever I watch my kids try to clean anything. It's like, what do, you, what do you think you're doing? What do you think is getting cleaner with this process that you're using? Just stop and let me show you how to do this. And I wonder if that's not how God looks at us when we're trying to transform ourselves. You know, we're trying to become better people all on our own. We're trying to dig down deep and find whatever we need inside of us, you know? And God's like, just stop and let me help you. Let me show you how to do this. That's what spiritual disciplines are all about. You've heard of spiritual disciplines and you're like, not interested because it has the word discipline in it, so no thanks. But, but no, this is what spiritual disciplines are all about. It's, it's us just stopping, trying to do everything ourselves and focus on what God wants to do 
in us. That's what spiritual disciplines do. So I just want to give you two suggestions for spiritual disciplines that God can use to transform you. Now, these don't, these are not a way for you to transform yourself, okay? We've got to get that in our heads. This is not a way for you to transform yourself. This is you stopping so God can transform you. Now, the two we, we talk about uh, all the time, you could probably say them with me, read your Bible and pray, right? We, we know we should read our Bibles and we should pray, but we struggle to do both of those things and we struggle to do them in ways that really force us to stop and let God speak in. We even try to read the Bible and pray in ways that we think we're transforming ourselves. But a spiritual discipline is us stopping and letting God transform us. So I wanna give you two suggestions and, and you, can, you can just say these are dumb and throw them out if you want to. This is not like, in the Bible, okay? These are just two suggestions that I have for a way to read your Bible and pray that may shift it in your mind just a little bit to let it be a transformational thing. Uh, so this is something that uh, I'm gonna try this week and I'm gonna invite my family to do, but uh, we're gonna do scripture before screens this week. Scripture before screens. Like before I look at a phone or a computer or a television, uh, I'm gonna be reading scripture. So um, again, this, this is not like in the Bible. This is not something that, you know, if you don't do this, it's bad. This is just for me. I know for some of you, you're like, I don't look at a screen all day. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. I don't need that. For some of us, it's like we're looking at screens all the time. And it's really important for me to take some time and just stop and say, you know what I need more than I need to know what's on this screen right now? I, I need to start my day with some words from God. So scripture before screens, you can try that with me this week if you want to. Um, and I, I asked in first service, I asked if anybody wanted to try it with me. No hands went up because if you raise your hand in church, it's like, it's like real. It's like you signed up and God knows now. And so you have to do it. So nobody raised their hand. But if you want to do it with me, hey, send me a message or, or email me and let's, let's do it together, see how it goes. The other part is prayer. How can I pray in a way that maybe shifts it a little bit for me? So here's the challenge. If you're physically able, I would challenge you to pray on your knees. Pray on your knees. You're like, well, what? doesn't God hear my prayers if I'm standing up? Yeah, God, God hears your prayers when you're standing up. God even hears your prayers if you're wearing a mask, in case anybody ever uh, told you different. God hears your prayers. That's not what it's about. What it's about is what's happening inside of us. Inside of us, what's happening when we pray? Well, our desire should be to surrender our hearts, to submit ourselves, to essentially bow before our king. So what if we just literally bowed? What if, what if we just unite our body and our heart in what we're trying to do? Maybe it could jumpstart something in our heart if we do something physically that expresses what we really wanna do spiritually. So if you're, if you're physically able, I encourage you to try to pray on your knees every day this week. I'm gonna give it a shot. Uh, right knee is telling me right now, this is not gonna go well. We're gonna see, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Maybe if I can't uh, do it physically, I'll, I'll, I'll do something else, raise my hands or, or do something else to just physically put my body in the position that I want my heart to be in. Does that make sense? All right, so uh, read your Bible and pray scripture before screens and pray on your knees. Um, if, if, you, if you do anything like that, now listen, if you, if you want more, if you're like, I've got that stuff down, I need something deeper, I need something more, we have someone on our staff who has a master's degree in spiritual formation. His name's Andy Gable, and he would love to talk to you more about more things you can do um, but these are just some suggestions for today. So um, if, you, if you would join me in those, because here's, here's what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to communicate and I want us to grasp, I want us to take this home with us, is that your spiritual health is not just about you. Like your health actually impacts the health of this church family. 
And you, you need the church family and the church family needs you. We can't do this on our own. We need each other. And so if we, if we will all take some time to stop and let God do stuff in us that we cannot do for ourselves, then we get healthier. And when we get healthier, everybody around us gets healthier. And a healthy church that goes into the world as salt and light just draws people to Jesus like flies to honey. I mean, it's amazing. And this is God's plan. God wants to see, there are five or 6,000 people in our community that don't follow Jesus in Northern Hamilton County. You're like, there's five or 6,000 people in Northern Hamilton County? Yeah, there's actually twice that many and half of them don't follow Jesus. How are, how are they gonna get there? How are they gonna know? God's plan A for those five or 6,000 people is healthy churches living out the gospel, being transformed, and being salt and light. That's plan A. And as far as I could read in scripture, I didn't see a plan B. <laughs> it's up to us. It's up to you and me and us working together because we need each other. We're gonna lean on each other. We're gonna forgive each other. We're gonna show grace to each other. We're gonna encourage each other. We're gonna celebrate together. We're gonna cry together. We're gonna get healthy together. And God's gonna use us to see more people declare Jesus as Lord and Savior. You with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for creating the church. It's just a beautiful expression of your body. And even though we don't get it right every day, God, you have so much grace for us and you have not removed the call on us to be salt and light. And so I pray that we would step into this. We would take responsibility for our own spiritual health. We would recognize that we're connected to all the other people in the church family. And we recognize that you have offered to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So would you change us? Would you transform us from the inside out to become the people who love you with all our heart, who love the people around us and who are committed to making disciples? Would you do that in us and through us? And may you get the glory for every good thing that happens. In Christ's name, amen.